Lindsay, let's sing one more song. <laughs> Thanks for being here this morning to worship with us. We've been studying chapter 15 of Mark's Gospel and looking at Jesus' trial under Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea. Now, if you'd like an outline for the sermon or borrow a Bible, lift Raise your hand and our ushers will be happy to help you. The Jewish authorities have been trying to find a way to get rid of Jesus, been following us in this story. Judas betrayed Jesus to the Jewish Sanhedrin, ruling council, and uh, they arrested and tried him for the sin of blasphemy, which in the Jewish law was a capital offense. But being under Roman rule, the Jews didn't have the power to put anybody to death. So to get Jesus killed, they had to bring him before the Roman authority, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, who was in Jerusalem during the Passover celebration. Let's continue to look at what happened. You can follow along as I read in Mark 15, 1 through 15. Early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and scribes, the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus, they led him away and delivered him to Pilate. Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking Pilate to do as he had been accustomed to do for them at these festivals. And Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd and asked him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with him whom you call king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. But Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. As we've been saying, Jesus isn't standing before the religious powers now. He's standing before the political powers, power of the state, the Roman government. Now, for Rome to condemn Jesus to death, the Sanhedrin had to bring a charge of high treason against Rome for them to do it. And that's exactly what they tried to do. The Sanhedrin began accusing Jesus of his claim to be king of the Jews instead of Herod and that Jesus was teaching them that they didn't have to pay taxes to Caesar either, and that he was leading a rebellion against the Roman Empire government there. 
And as Jesus stands before Pilate to answer these accusations, Pilate asks five questions of Jesus. And we've used these questions and the answers to walk through this passage. Last time we looked at the politics of Jesus in these questions, when Jesus answered Pilate's first two questions. Well, let's review that before I move on to the last three. First, Pilate asked Jesus in Mark 15 to, so, and this is literally what it says in the Greek, so you are the king of the Jews? Pilate's not asking if Jesus is the Messiah promised in the Hebrew Scripture. He doesn't care about that. All he wants to know is if Jesus is leading a resistance against Rome. As we said last time, Jesus' answer is ambiguous. Jesus literally says, you are saying it. It's not a denial, it's not an affirmation, or it's both. He's deliberately being ambiguous. When you consider the politics of Jesus and whether or not we're to be involved in the process of government, what we talked about last time was the answer is always yes and no. Yes, we must respect the authorities and give the government what it's rightfully due. But no, we will not give the government absolute claim over, over our lives. That our, our ultimate allegiance is to God alone, not the state. Now, when it comes to political power, we talked about last time, Jesus is ambiguous. On the one hand, he wants his followers to honor the authority of government. On the other hand, he doesn't want his followers to put our hopes in the political powers. He doesn't want us to withdraw. He doesn't want us to take power, thinking we're going to make the country more Christian. That brings us to Pilate's second question of Jesus and his answer. When the chief priest began to harshly accuse Jesus, Pilate asked him, do you make no answer? See how many charges they bring against you, Mark 15, 4. Jesus' answer to the second question is silence. He didn't reply. And this is where Pilate was amazed. I think he marveled at Jesus' calmness and peace in, in the face of all these accusations. He's looking at the death penalty. Jesus could have used his power to stop all of this. Instead, he's silent. You know what that means? His silence is telling you he's giving up power to serve. That's, this is where he does it. He's giving it up. He's not defending himself. It's his surrender. He's giving up his power. He's laying it down. So that's the second thing we learn about Jesus' politics. Not only is he ambiguous, yes and no. He also, uh, instead of extremism, Jesus shows us that it's more influential to give up power in order to serve than to take power to advance ourselves. It's what Jesus has been teaching his disciples all along. Even the Son of Man, Mark 10.45, did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. All right. We've looked at Jesus' politics. The last three questions Pilate asked reveal the politics of Pontius Pilate, which we're going to look at today, which is a huge contrast with Jesus' politics. Pilate actually asked the crowd this third question, but it concerns Jesus. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And we read it in Mark 15.10. Pilate knew that the Sanhedrin fabricated the charges, delivered Jesus up for envy. And so Pilate first is trying to make a reasonable attempt 
uh, for Jesus' release. He knows what they're trying to do. So what he did, he knows the festival uh, was his habit, tradition, to release one of their prisoners. So he brought out Barabbas, who was in prison for murder and insurrection. He killed somebody. Trying to compromise and release Jesus, Pilate's probably looking at this and says, okay, this is a no-brainer, okay. <laughs> I'm bringing Barabbas out. And verse 9, when he, he asked the crowd, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Here's Barabbas standing in. What's interesting is that in Matthew, Matthew tells us that Barabbas' given name was Jesus Barabbas. Matthew 27, 17. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked him, Whom do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called Christ? Well, that's interesting. Now, I can imagine Pilate saying something like this. Okay, you want me to release for you a prisoner? I got two Jesuses here It's my prisoner. Which one do you want? Over here, I got Jesus Barabbas. And over here, I got Jesus of Nazareth. Now, Jesus Barabbas has been going around trying to burn the system down. He's killing people. Jesus of Nazareth, however, has been going around doing good, healing people. Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas. Release Barabbas. The crowd starts to put Pilate, I, I'm pretty sure, just stunned. <laughs> Uh, but he's, they're pushing back. And Pilate realizes, uh, hmm, the I better do the expedient thing rather than the right thing. Pilate knew the Sanhedrin was corrupt. They're trying to get rid of Jesus. Pilate also knew Jesus was probably innocent. But he decided to appear to listen to the crowd come across as a benevolent ruler rather than do the right thing and just release Jesus outright. So here, here we go. You want to know the politics of Pilate? Just the opposite of Jesus. Pilate is all about saving his own skin and remaining in power, not giving it up to serve others or to do right. The crowd answers Pilate's third question, Barabbas instead of Jesus. Chief priest stirred up the crowd in verse 11 and asked him to release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate then continues with his fourth question. Mark 15, 12. What shall I do with the king of the Jews? The crowd's answer is emphatic. Crucify him. Rome has that power. Pilate again tries to intervene with his fifth and last question. Verse 14, why? What evil has he done? Is there a just reason to put this man to death? Now listen, the crowd doesn't even answer the question. They just cry out all the more, crucify him! They don't have an answer. That's just their way of saying, we know he's innocent, but we want him dead. 
Pilate, being a servant to his own political ambitions, gives the crowd what they wanted to avoid chaos and a riot and potentially lose his power if that happened. To save his own skin, the politics of Pilate concedes to do the unjust, evil thing instead of the right thing for the approval of the crowd. Just the opposite of Jesus' politics. He's in the system. He's going to stay in the system. It's all about holding on to power. Now that brings us to our third main point, the gospel of Jesus. When the crowd demanded the release of Barabbas, the key word in this little verse is the word instead of. Hina malan, rather than. Okay. See, the crowd wanted Jesus to substitute for the criminal Barabbas. You got a guilty man, you got an innocent man. Crowd says, release the guilty man, kill the innocent man. So the innocent and the guilty switch places. Put the innocent where the guilty should be, put the guilty where the innocent should be. You know what that's called? Substitution. Jesus was being treated like Barabbas should have been treated, and Barabbas was being treated like Jesus should have been treated, released. Do you see what's happening? Could Mark get any clearer? This is what Jesus' death was all about, what our salvation, what the gospel is all about, substitution. Jesus was taking our sins on himself. He was being treated the way we should have been treated. He died as our substitute so we could go free. That's the gospel. That's, in a nutshell, pictured right in this passage. We are Barabbas. And Jesus demonstrates his love by substituting himself for us on the cross. He was silent. He gave up his power. Barabbas goes free. But unlike Barabbas, who was freed because of a fickle crowd, we are freed because of our faith in Christ, our Savior. There's only one thing we need to do to avail ourselves of Jesus' willingness to take the penalty of our sins instead of us. We must personalize Jesus' substitution for us. How do we do that? Well, New Testament bears out we must admit and believe we're the guilty sinner. And that the innocent Son of God was substituting himself for me. I'm the guilty sinner. He substituted himself for me. And dying for me, for my sins, in order to bring me to God. That's what Peter says, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just, Jesus, for the unjust, me, so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Pilate's question really is being asked of all of us. What will you do with the king of the Jews? 
Well, I invite you not to reject him as the crowd did, but to receive him as his followers did, believing in him for the gift of eternal life, for your salvation. You see, this is extremely important. I hinted, kind of hinted at it last week, but understanding this concept of substitution, substitutionary atonement, it's a, it's a, a, doc, a theology, it's, it's all about salvation, our salvation. Understanding that, <laughs> that he paid the penalty instead of us is how we can get the power the early Christians had to be agents of dramatic social change in their culture. As change agents, those early Christians didn't just look to Jesus as their example. They didn't just say, well, let's see, Jesus forgave his enemies, so I'll forgive them. Didn't do that. They became change agents when they personalized what Jesus did for them. When they saw Jesus substituting himself for them on the cross, it changed their hearts towards themselves and others, like Paul, who was one, Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. You know why? Because he loved me and gave himself for me. There it is. That's what they lived off of. And let me give you another example from Rodney Stark's book uh, called The Rise of Christianity. Explains why Christianity exploded in the first two centuries after Jesus died and rose from the dead. One of the reasons he gives is the early Christians gave their lives to care for the sick around them. Especially during the plagues and natural disasters, Christians stayed in the cities to help with the public health problems of their city while the pagans fled, fled for their lives, held on to their power and position. Not giving up power to serve. Why did the Christians stay? Because Jesus' act of love and sacrifice for them. Christians were willing to sacrifice and give their lives for others. It's very simple. (laughs) But so difficult. Begins by understanding the concept, the spirit of substitution. Because Jesus substituted his life for me, let me do that for you. You go free instead of me. You get healed instead of me. Counterintuitive, isn't it? We, we don't want to do that. We want to hang on to power. We want the politics of Pilate. Not Jesus. Who would do that? Now, during the terrible plague of 260 AD that swept through the Greco-Roman world, was killing upwards of 5,000 people a day, Let me share with you an eyewitness account from the Alexandrian bishop Dionysius who wrote and gives tribute to the heroic efforts of local Christians, many of whom lost their lives during the the plague of 260. This is is from Stark's book. Here's what the bishop says. 
Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, tending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. Well, that's ironic. (laughs) Serenely happy for giving their lives. For they were infected by others with a disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. There it is. Substitution. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. Where did they get this idea? Dying in someone's stead. Giving and serving instead of saving one's skin. I'll tell you where Jesus had an impact in their lives. It wasn't just uh, acknowledged on a Sunday morning. Yeah, let's sing some great songs and hymns. Let's, let's read his word. No, no, no. Went far beyond that. Far beyond just his example. Far beyond his teaching. They personalized what he did for them. It's amazing. Christians looked at their neighbors and said, If I take care of my neighbor, my neighbor might survive, but I might die because I might get infected. I might die that my neighbor might live. Why did they think that? Because that's what Jesus did for them. That's the personalization. And they willingly did it, just like Jesus and Christianity exploded. It's kind of lost its force centuries later. The same force, at least. Jesus lost his power. He transferred our sickness onto himself, died in our place. Why? So we could live. Now, personally experiencing what we're talking about, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus for you turns you, if it grabs your heart, turns you into an effective agent for social change by loving others just like Jesus loved you. Jesus instead of me, me instead of you. By the way, that's how forgiveness works. Jesus, you see, took my sin and suffered for me for my offenses. I'm going to take your sin against me and suffer for it instead of you. That's true forgiveness. Somebody suffers. You or them. Instead of substitution. Substituting ourselves for another is the whole basis of what Christian love means. What will you do with Jesus, the King of the Jews? When the innocent Jesus died instead of the guilty Barabbas... When Jesus substituted himself for Barabbas, he was doing the same thing for all who would believe in him for eternal life. Same thing. And because of what Jesus did, 
I hope you've experienced this. This is amazing. We, the guilty sinners, are forgiven by God and go free to spend eternity with him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus is willing to suffer the pain of death, the wrath of God in our place so we wouldn't have to. We say thank you, but deep down we know we should do so much more. So much more. In grateful lives for what you've done. Help us to live lives of substitutionary love, forgiving our enemies, using our power to help and serve others. And as a result, to see your kingdom come alive in us and grow through us. We ask for help and your grace to do these things, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.